Hello, everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by ForTheGloryOfOldState.com. I'm Craig Rosala, and I'm joined by my partner, Brandon Musso. How are we doing today, Brandon? I'm doing good. Good to be back, finally. It's been quite a while since we last recorded, I'll say that. Yeah, it has been. Was it a bowl game, would you say? Uh, yeah, post-game bowl game, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it was a long time ago, especially considering 2020. Yeah, feels like it's been maybe more than one year. Yeah, and I know with quarantine, I, I personally was out of sports. I just, my head was not in it. Obviously, sports weren't on TV, but I'm just There's like... Nothing to watch. Mentally so. exhausted from, you know, the COVID situation. And, yep. Um, but, hey, we're back. Penn State football is going to be back on October 24th. They would take home on Indiana. And we're here to break down some of the offseason stuff that happened since March, really, because we haven't really talked much Penn State football at all since um, everything kind of hit um, the United States. So we'll start with the recruiting aspect of things with Penn State. James Franklin seems pretty displeased by his own recruiting efforts. And it's great to hear, you know, Coach Franklin taking ownership for something that he sees as a a weak spot this year. Right now they have the 35th nationally ranked class, which usually Penn State's in the top 10. Last year they were 15th. Uh, I know the 2018 class was really strong with Micah Parsons. Justin Shorter was a high recruit that obviously didn't pan out at Penn State. But being 35th nationally and 8th in the Big Ten after um, being 3rd last year, not great. Um, The class is headlined right now by a big-time offensive tackle, uh, Landon Tangwell from Maryland. He's 6'6", 300 pounds, and he's the number one prospect in the state of Maryland. And one thing that Penn State has not done a great job of in recruiting is keeping their home talent in state. They've had a lot of commitments from players out of state, especially the state of Michigan, which is obviously Jim Harbaugh country, which was pretty funny uh, in uh, April and May when they were getting recruitments from Kobe King, Kalen King, the two brothers, um, Jamari Budden, and Jalen Reed, all from the state of Michigan. So four Michigan prospects that are not going to be Wolverines or Spartans. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Franklin basically called himself out and said, you know, we just haven't gotten the job done. And, you know, you look at the previous classes, you look at 2017, 15th in the nation, 2018, like you said, 6th in the nation, 2019, 12th, 2020, 15. And now we look at this 2021 class and we're sitting at 35 right now. And it's good, to, as you said, to see Franklin at least acknowledge that. But it's been tough to keep the talent in the area. I mean, yeah. Ohio State's coming in and taking a lot of the the top name recruits, you know, Fleming being one of them, yep, um, sure. would have been great. To, <laughs> would have been great to have him come uh, to the home state school, but uh, you know, Franklin's got to do a better job. Franklin and staff need to be able to recruit in the immediate area um, if they want to compete with Ohio State. Yeah, and it hasn't even been an issue of decommitments either. There's only been two. One of them was a three-star prospect from Florida, uh, Nick Elkskinis, and um, Dante Thornton, a four-star prospect from the state of Maryland. But right now, Penn State only has 13 in this class, and um, it's not a great class right now. But obviously there is some time you know, where we can make things up. One issue with the recruiting class and one of the um, weak spots that's going to happen is obviously every year Penn State has a whiteout that brings you know, about 100 kids to uh, Penn State to see the stadium, see the atmosphere, see them play a top Big Ten opponent. That's not happening this year. And obviously that's the strongest point in coming to Penn State. They're probably their biggest recruiting pitch, and they will not have that at their disposal this year. 
And I think that's going to make things a little bit tougher, even for Penn State going into February when they really, you know, seal this class up. Yeah, and I think that's kind of overlooked. Like, you know, everyone looks at no fans and thinks like, oh, what's it going to be like for the players on the field? But like when those whiteouts come to Beaver Stadium, like there's a lot of recruits on the sideline. And, you know, that's kind of what is a big part of what sells um, recruits on the school. So, you know, you could talk all day about how like, you know, there's not going to be enough energy for the players, but there's really going to be a massive impact with recruiting. And, you know, it's really not good that they already have not the best class coming in and they don't have another um, pick me up like a whiteout to kind of get them over the hump. You talk, we talked about the, the second wave with COVID. Penn City needs a second wave with recruiting right now. And it doesn't, doesn't appear that um, it's going to be very easy for James Franklin and his crew to make that happen this year. Yeah, a fourth quarter comeback, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Second half team going back to 2016. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing to discuss is the college football transfer portal. There's been some guys that were added to the transfer portal from Penn State that we knew about before quarantine started. Justin Shorter, he made his uh, transfer to the University of Florida. Uh, Ricky Slade, um, we knew that he was interested in leaving after kind of being the last man in that four-man running back rotation last year. He transferred to Old Dominion to play for Penn State's old offense coordinator, Ricky Ronnie. Um, but then also, backup quarterback Michael Johnson Jr., he was a four-star recruit out of high school. He's in the transfer portal. He hasn't made a decision if he's coming back or if he's leaving. Mac Hippenhammer, who saw some time at wide receiver the last few years, he's transferring to Miami of Ohio. He was also a baseball player at Penn State, so he was doing double duty there. Um, and then a couple linemen, um, Daniel Joseph, Ellison Jordan, Damian Barber, they all um, entered the transfer portal. Joseph and Barber made th their decisions. Ellison Jordan did not. You know, kind of a tough offseason in terms of, you know, recruiting, losing some key guys. Obviously, Ricky Slay was a high recruit, Justin Shorter, high recruit, and then Michael Johnson, I, I believe they have high expectations for him. Um, it's just that he's kind of buried on the depth chart it's behind uh, Clifford and Will Levis right now. Yeah, I don't see really any huge losses. Obviously, these guys have been um, highly regarded as in terms of as be, like recruiting and, and being prospects, but I think when you look at it, most of these guys on this list are all guys that were blocked by players that were just better than them, so... Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at Michael Johnson Jr., you have, you know, several other quarterbacks, another quarterback in the class of 2021. Um, and there was a, a quarterback in his class when he came in. So there's two freshmen battling out, one of them right. being Johnson. Right. And then, you know, you look at Slade, like you said, he was one of the last guys in that in that that uh, that run game last year. You know, Journey Brown kind of took, took that job. Ricky Slade just wasn't able to uh, come out on top. So... Like, overall, not huge. Justin Shorter didn't really fit too well in this offense. Didn't really prove that he was a four-star prospect. You wish him well, you know, wherever he goes. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't see this as, like, a huge, a huge loss. Um, but definitely it'll have a little bit of an impact on the team. Now, with the transfer portal, obviously people coming, people going. One thing we do know for sure is that, the opt-in and opt-outs have been very controversial this year across college football. Some top prospects choosing not to play, some top prospects choosing not to play and then coming back to play once the season got kind of sorted out. Um, for Penn State, two of their biggest players have been in talks of opting out and then opting in. Pat Fryermuth opted out originally, then he opted back in. That's a huge gain for Penn State. Micah Parsons opted out immediately. 
for obvious reasons. He's a <laughs> top 10 NFL draft pick next year. Right. Uh, huge future in the National Football League. There was some hope that with the Big Ten putting their season back on, that he would come back. He ultimately decided that he is not going to come back and play in the blue and white at Beaver Stadium uh, in 2020. That's the toughest loss, I think, in, in the country, is losing Micah Parsons, your captain of your defense, really the last two years. Even as a freshman, he led the team in tackles. Expand on that, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, I I thought that there was a there was a chance that he might come back, but um, you know, you, as you said, like, it's it's obvious why he didn't come back, and you know, this season's going to be different than all the others that we've ever seen, really. So, you know, why risk it? You know, we have a, a late season, a late start, but in October, mm-hmm. and uh, who knows how far or how deep you know bowl games will be pushed or the national championship will be pushed, um, whatever it may be. Wish him well, though. It's going to be a tough loss for us, but we'll get to see some um, some Brandon Smith, which I'm excited about. Yeah, he's he's a tough one. And also, you know, if any Penn State fan or any fan across the country is, you know, upset with Micah Parsons are coming back, this is a, a huge move for him. He has um, – he's already uh, decided that he's going to be graduating early in December. So he is getting his degree. That's a, a huge accomplishment, obviously, for any young man. And then also, I don't know if you knew this, he has a child already, too. So I didn't know that. Um, being a father, you know, getting a nice NFL paycheck is going to be a, a nice um, thing for him and his family. And, you know, we wish nothing but the best for Micah Parsons in his journey going through, uh, you know, Penn State football the last two years and then going to the NFL. And then also, I feel like with him, as special as he is as a player, I feel like he would... I definitely could see him being on the sidelines for a couple of games. I remember Sean Lee or like Michael Motti being on the sidelines helping out when they were injured. I could see Michael Parsons helping out. I know he's still on campus and getting his work done. So I think that'd be really good for this football team to see a leader like Michael Parsons come back and you know be like a player coach yeah. of sorts. I think it'd be great. I could see that happening. Yeah, um, he's a big he's a big loss, but uh, as you said, Frymuth coming back in. I'm a little skeptical that he ever opted out. Um, I don't know if those reports are unsubstantiated or yeah, not. I feel like but it was like a part of a rumor mill. Yeah, I, I think that originally he was discussing it. Obviously, they admitted as much as they were discussing that he might opt out. But, I mean, we saw last year when he was thinking about declaring for the draft that you could tell he's just not ready for it. Like, he, yeah. he came to college. He wants to play. Like, he's just a different he's just a different person than Mike is, and they're in different situations. Mm-hmm. Um so it was great to see him, you know, crash that interview on Big Ten Network and, and say, yeah, I'm playing. <laughs> yeah. As much as we love Penn State football, Pat Farmuth loves Penn State football. I think he just <laughs> loves the college football game. <laughs> yeah. How could you not? Yeah. Um, but so those are the two uh, big, you know, opt-in, opt-out situations. And then there's been some great um, additions, you know, kind of by other Big Ten schools. I know Rashad Bateman announced he's coming back to Minnesota. Obviously, we saw the game last year. He's a pretty good player. He is a very good. Um, player, and yes. then a couple of the cornerbacks from Ohio State. Yeah, if you watch any of the NFL games, you know that the cornerbacks at Ohio State are always good. So this next wave is probably going to be really good. And, and fortunately, Justin good. Fields has made it pretty adamant throughout um, the whole quarantine that he wants to play college football. So he'll be back this year as well. Yeah, and so, I mean, a lot of guys just have a lot to prove, so they don't yeah. want to miss another another season. So. You know, you can see why they're saying, well, we want to play, we want to play, and mm-hmm. I'm just very happy that they decided to play. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to beat Ohio State, you know, God willing, 
I want to play them when they're at their best, not at their worst, you know? Exactly. Um, so our next topic is talking about some of the new coaching hires at Penn State this offseason. One that came right around the bowl game was Kurt Soraka. He is the new offensive coordinator at Penn State. He's replacing Ricky Ronnie, who moved on to Old Dominion, become their head coach, as we mentioned before, with Ricky Slate going there as well. Uh, Kurt Soraka is he is a college football coach. He's been doing it for 30 years now. He started off as a grad assistant at Temple. He's worked at all different levels, um, the, the 1AA, FCS level, um, you know, Delaware, Princeton, Penn. Um, he had Joe Flacco at Delaware. He was his offensive coordinator and quarterback coach there. He eventually moved on to Rutgers. He was at Richmond. He went back to Delaware. Um, and then he started to really climb the ladder a bit when he got to Western Michigan with P.J. Fleck. He was the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach there. Um, he was the OC for that undefeated team that went to a BCS-type bowl. Um, Corey Davis was a top-five pick um, out of Western Michigan. And then, obviously, the last um, couple years, 2017 to 2019, Kirk was the offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach at Minnesota. We talked about it a lot last year when Penn State lost to Minnesota. The Minnesota offense looked fantastic. They were very efficient. They got up big by using the passing game. They were really efficient. I think Tanner Morgan only had two incompletions. And then they just ran the ball down Penn State's throat and eventually held on to win. But that's Penn State's new offensive coordinator. How do you like the hire? Well, I love it. For one, I mean, if you have been listening to our previous podcasts all of last year, I was clamoring for Penn State to fire Ricky Ronnie, and I was very, very pleased when he decided that he was going to go to Old Dominion. Um, and I think the hire with uh, to replace him was a home run. Honestly, um, we saw the Minnesota game last year; they just ran circles around that Penn State defense. Yes, they they looked terrible, and you know now we have this guy, that guy you know, call in place for us. And, you know, it's been somewhat of an adjustment to after Moorhead left. Um, Ronnie never really lived up to expectations. Like Especially after that Fiesta Bowl. After the Fiesta Bowl. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, and I was skeptical, uh, like, when they first went with Ronnie. But as you said, like, after that bowl game, I was like, okay, I guess I guess he's got some, you know, he still has some of that, uh, some of that Joe Moorhead Magic style, yeah, magic. I guess we can go with that. Um, but you know, once he got to the next season, it just wasn't good, and there was a lot of questionable play calls while he was at the helm. And I'm very happy to see a new creative offensive coordinator in place at Penn State. Yeah, I mean, as we talked about, Kurt's offense was great last year in Minnesota. They they were great, great offense all throughout the year, not just against Penn State. Um, and one thing I do like with Kirk too is that. He's been all over the East Coast, so that helps also with Penn State in their recruiting efforts. Obviously, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast that the recruiting hasn't been strong this year. Kirk being a new guy, I don't know how much he has to do with the you know the recruiting plans this year, but going forward, I think that really helps and that he knows the area, he knows um, you know the the Mid Atlantic, and then he can really help out in, in that effort as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's. He was around when at the bowl game last year. Um, didn't call the plays, but was at the game, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to get like a feel for some of the players and and how Penn State is. So, you know, I'm sure he got hit the ground running right when he got to Penn State and was probably helping with recruiting. So, you know, even that just this off season was probably really good for him to start getting the players that he would like for his offense and um, you know hopefully helping this cl- class out a little bit more so we could. Uh, 
bump that ranking up just a little yeah. bit. <laughs> and one thing I want to expand on as well is with Kirk being a new offensive coordinator, you have to kind of worry, especially with this crazy offseason, how is the new offense going to look with, you know, an experienced quarterback in Sean Cook, but he's never run the offense and nobody else obviously has either. I think it's a pretty similar offense to the Ricky Ronnie slash Joe Moorhead style in that there's a lot, you know, a lot of shotgun stuff, a lot of stuff where the, the offense is really spread out. Yeah. I'm not promising any fullbacks. We might go under center a little bit, <laughs> but knowing James Franklin, I don't think he wants to do that, and Kirk might take that out of his um, offensive profile. We'll have to see, but I think that it's going to be a pretty smooth transition considering how weird this offseason has been, And um, but that remains to be seen two weeks from now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to... You're definitely going to see a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of hiccups in the beginning. Obviously, it's been there's been a short, a short camp, and I don't, I don't know if the, if Kirk's gotten a lot of time to work with this offense, as, or at least as much as you know you would hope that he would. Um, but as you said, I, I think this is very, I think he runs an offense that's very similar to Moorhead. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of big plays, um, you know, stretch the field, some long passes, that kind of thing. But yeah, it looks like last year um, Minnesota was you know pass happy, if you will, and we saw that against Penn State. Their wide receivers ran all around that secondary, and uh, let's just hope that he can do that to opposing defenses now. Yeah, speaking of being pass happy, I think the position group that is going to struggle the most this year, and we really do not know anything about, is the wide receiver group. Penn yeah. State hired a new wide receivers coach. His name is Taylor Stubblefield. You might recognize that name if you're, you know, you've been a Penn State fan within the last 20 years. He was a 2004 All-American wide receiver at Purdue, back when they had Kyle Warden under center. He had 16 touchdowns in that season alone. Obviously, that's a huge year. Um, he becomes a new wide receiver coach, replacing Gerard Parker, who moved on to West Virginia to become their offensive coordinator. And same thing as Kurt Soraka, Taylor Stubblefield. He is, ever since he's retired from playing um, pro football. He has become a coach. He's been at all different places. He's been a wide receiver coach at all these stops as well. He hasn't been jumping around different position groups or anything. He was a wide receiver in college. He was a wide receiver in the pros for a hot second. And then he became a wide receiver's coach, which I really like that. He he. So he really gets it, how it's supposed to be in that wide receiver's room. Um, a couple different stops he was at. Last year he was at Miami. Um, and then he was at Utah prior to that, Wake Forest, New Mexico, Central Michigan, Illinois State. So kind of all over the map, really. But again, I like the higher, get a, a wide receivers coach that kind of mold these guys. We haven't really had that with, since Josh Gaddis. Obviously, Josh Gaddis moved on. He's at Michigan now. But, uh, you know, I think this is also a pretty good hire by Penn State and that we can get a wide receivers coach that was a wide receiver, can get his hands on with these guys and hopefully get to work. He has a crew that's really unestablished, but also should be really motivated to get out there, prove themselves, and get a lot of playing time and produce for this Penn State offense. Yeah, honestly, this this hire is exactly what they needed. They they really have struggled as a as a wide receiver group in the past couple of years. And I remember back when when Gaddis first left, I remember texting you immediately when that happened. I was like, this is going to be a bigger loss than than people think. It's proven um, to be right. Yeah, I mean, he he was a really good coach, and you know, he really coached up some some really good wide receivers, and it was a tough loss. And I guess they just haven't been able to to find a good fit for the job. 
Um, you know, Parker may have been it, but he wasn't really here that long to do. Yeah, he couldn't establish himself as, right. as a, a true coach for these guys. Um, but as you said, you know, this guy's just like a wide receiver, wide receiver, if you will. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he knows the position, and that is what Penn State needs right now because the, the group just hasn't been the best, and um, hopefully he can coach up some of these guys, and, you know, maybe we see a, a breakout player or two. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, obviously, Jahan Dotson's a, a big candidate to step up and be the leader of this crew. But no K.J. Hamler um, as he moved on to the NFL and was a second-round pick by the Broncos. And then um, Justin Shorter leaving, he was somebody that, you know, the opening week last year we were expecting big things from. Somebody has to step up this year. And I know last year they had five wide receivers coming in that um, 2019 recruiting class. Maybe it's one of those guys. Maybe it's somebody else that's been buried on the depth chart the last couple of years. Who knows? But Taylor Stubblefield... I think he has his hands full in trying to get one of these Penn State receivers to really step up and be part of this offense. Help Sean Clifford out a little bit on the outside. We know Fryer Muth's going to hold things down up the middle, and then when he when he split out wide, but we need somebody to be a threat that's a downfield threat, kind of like Hamler was. Maybe a little bit taller, a bigger guy than Hamler was. They've, they've needed that for but a while But we need now. somebody to step up. Uh, I think Jahan Dotson's a really nice piece. But I don't think he's the number one wide receiver you're looking for in any offense, at least an elite offense. Yeah, hopefully we we see somebody emerge, um, like you said, either from you know buried in the depth charts or you know one of these new recruits. Uh, but I think definitely this is the guy that will get us there. Yeah. Um, and then moving from the outside to the trenches, new offensive line coach Phil Troutwine. He is replacing Matt Limegrover. Matt Limegrover did not have his contract renewed after the bowl game. Uh, Phil Troutwine's a pretty young guy. You, you, you watched uh, Tim Tebow and that Florida team play in 2008 win the national championship. Well, Phil Troutwine was a first-team All-SEC guy on that offensive line for Florida. Um, and then when he stopped playing, he moved on to be a grad assistant at Boston College. Then he was a special teams coordinator, tight end coach at Davidson. Um, did not coach Steph Curry, obviously. Steph Curry, basketball, not football. <laughs> and then he went back to Boston College to become their offensive line coach from 2018 to 2019. Now he's at Penn State. What do you think? I I'm I, I don't know, you know how it's going to be, but we're at rock bottom with offensive linemen right now. So yeah. Um, yeah, anything that anything will help, honestly. Um, this guy seems to have the track record. I remember immediately when they hired him, I, I started digging into like who he is, as I do with all the coaches, but... I looked at this thing. It says last year, in 2019, he coached all five of his starting offensive linemen to all ACC honors. That's impressive. Uh, that's that's good. That's a good start. When I first started looking into him, um, that is the kind of thing that Penn State needs. They really haven't had a good offensive line and uh, a collective offensive line. I would say. I, I think we yeah, had a lot of individual some good talent. Players, yes, I would like Connor McGovern got drafted by the Cowboys. Um, we've been talking, you know, Ryan Bates, we've talked about, we've talked about uh, Michael Manet, um, mm-hmm. Will Fries. I, it just never seemed like... Never clicked it, as a as a Yeah, group. it's never been cohesive. Right. And I think, you know, that's the one unit that really needs to be cohesive on, on a team. Oh, for sure. Especially if you want to get the run game going. And we know that Penn State has some talented running backs. Yep. And... Uh, talented quarterback that needs protection. So, and you know that a bunch of teams in the Big Ten have really good pass rush. Yes, I'm and at you, Larry Johnson, over <laughs> Columbus, <laughs> and to win these big games against these top-rated teams in the Big Ten, you need to win in the trenches, and this is where it starts. You need a you need a guy that could. Um, this is where the offensive starts. You need a guy that could that could hold that down for you. You need someone that will get the run game going when they need to. You need a group that could protect the quarterback when mm-hmm. they need to. 
um, this is how you win games. Yeah. Um, and with Troutwine, I mean, you take him from Boston College and you get five all-ACC guys from that offensive line, that type of you know coaching pedigree. I, it doesn't matter to me that he's a, a younger guy as opposed to like Soraka, who's been around for 30 years. Right. If you can coach, you can coach, and he's proven that in his little time as a coach that he can do a really good job, and hopefully he does that when he uh, when he stepped foot on Penn State the last couple months, and then he can you know expand upon that throughout the year. Yeah, you just need him to, you know, maybe it takes a couple years, like you know, let him go out and recruit, find some guys that you know that fits his mold that he basically put in place at Boston College, and uh, hopefully we can turn this around. One thing I do hope with uh, Troutwine is. We talked about some of his, you know, he's a newer coach. I hope he's not using Penn State as like a, a stepping, stepping stone, stone job. Yeah. That's one thing I'm, I'm hoping that does not happen. Obviously, Penn State's a great job to have. Um, but does he want to be an OC? Does he want to be a head coach? Um, does he want to be an O-line coach maybe down in the south? Because, you know, obviously he went to school at Florida. I hope that's not the situation. Um, I hope he's somebody that's going to be here for a few years and, as we've mentioned, develop. Development's so, so key. That's what helped, you know, that Big Ten championship team, all those guys developed at about the same time. They developed at a great pace, too. We need to continue to develop if we want to sustain um, this line of success, success that we've had the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, that's always that's always a risk when whenever you're hiding, hiring your coaching staff. Um, but, you know, if he gets hired for um, another head coaching job, you got to you got to imagine that he's been doing a pretty good job yeah, at Penn State, which true. will benefit us greatly. That's true. So hopefully if someone wants to pick him up, um, I hope that they do it because he's been doing a good job at Penn State. That's our situation with the, the new coaches, all on the offensive side of the, the football. Now I want to dive into some of the COVID um, situations that have come up with the season. We touched on it a little bit, how the lack of fans in the crowd, although they mentioned that family members will be in the crowd now, Pennsylvania passed a new state law on that and the you know capacity and the occupancy and all that um, different stuff. But in game, not having you know the whiteout, one hundred ten thousand fans. Is there any team in the country that is hurt more by not having their fans in the stadium than Penn State? Uh, it's hard to imagine, honestly, because every year all the players look forward to the whiteout. And that's obviously I think the fans and the yeah the, the analysts yeah. per curb streets everyone I mean, looks really forward upset. to it. Um, so you, you can say you know, and it's just just that game. It's it's every game. That stadium is always rocking. There's always you know a hundred thousand plus there. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a huge change for this for the team. And you know maybe they'll maybe they'll pump some crowd noise in. I think it, so. Yeah. yeah, make it a little more normal for them. Definitely I mean, music too. I mean, we've seen some games across college football already that for the conferences that have been playing already, you know, some of them are playing in empty stadiums and it, and it hasn't been all that different um, in terms of watching on TV. I mean, Pitt's like the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this, it's going to be an adjustment for sure, but I think that, you know, a little crowd noise and uh, they'll be fine. You know what was wild to me uh, watching? We were watching the Oklahoma and Iowa State game together last or last week. Yeah, at Iowa State, it just seemed like it was a normal crowd. Like, it did seem like that. <laughs> they were all pretty close. They were uh, going crazy. Obviously, they had a big win against a nationally ranked opponent, but it just seemed like 
it was a normal crowd. It didn't seem like there was much restrictions going on. That's just me, but yeah. Well, and that's that's going to be part of it because you know in the Big Ten it's going to be the same. I know they already said that they're not having fans across the Big Ten. If yeah, I'm they're not, not, they're not yeah. Um, but I know there's a lot of conferences, as you said, that are having fans, and there's a lot of schools that are having fans. So they're probably going to benefit um, by the fact that they get to have fans and the Big Ten does not have to have fans. Yeah. Um, but that's just something that we're going to have to deal with um, and the players are going to have to deal with. They, I think we just got to be happy that at this point that we're playing at all. True. Um, but, you know, it's something to look at. You know, there's going to be teams that are going to be ranked nationally um, that are going to have fans, and, you know, maybe that hurts us, maybe that helps us. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I just wish we were playing Ohio State with fans. And so I do, too. That'd be, that'd be great. Next year. Next year, yeah. Um, two years to come back home <laughs> again, but... Um, one thing that's going to be, I think, difficult for the Big Ten to navigate is any possible postponements. Um, they're playing an all-Big Ten slate. Was it seven? Uh, well, six games versus your division because there's seven teams in the division, and then you have one crossover. I believe the crossover is Iowa. But we're playing seven games, and with postponements, any possible postponements, the Big Ten Championship is the day before the College Football Committee meets for the decide the playoff. Obviously, Penn State's hopeful to be in the playoff. Ohio State's hopeful. Michigan's hopeful. Wisconsin's hopeful. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few other teams that you know are really excited about their season this year. If you know Penn State has to miss two weeks, kind of like Notre Dame had to because they had a couple cases, or another Big Ten team, I think it's going to be a very very um, tough thing for the Big Ten to recover from and it's because of this late start where they were very worried at the start you know starting the season on time and they decided not to they saw things were shaking out pretty good with the other conferences and now it's kind of it's it's kind of late where if anything happens anything goes wrong that could lead to the Big Ten not being in the playoff what do you think yeah it's uh, they're really it's going to be a really tight schedule um, they're going to be playing eight games Eight games, okay. And then um, there's going to be that ninth game on Big Ten Championship Day. I don't know if you read about that. Um, so I'd, it could be against someone in their division, somebody not in their division, um, whatever it oh, is. Oh, so it's at random. Yeah, so they're going to seed oh, cool. them after. They're going to seed the teams after the two teams are picked for the Big Ten Championship. And then everyone's going to play that ninth game. Oh, that's great for them. Everyone's going to be in that's action great. on the Big Ten Championship uh, weekend. So that will be another game for teams to prove themselves. But as you said, they're really up against it, you know, playing games the day before the playoff is picked. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that changes. Who knows? Because as we've seen across the college football landscape so far, there's been postponements. There's been games pushed back. Um, a couple teams have already been um, shut down for a couple of weeks. So, you know, maybe the NCAA decides to push back the championship, maybe push back, you know, selection day. Whatever it may be, I think they're going to need a little bit more time. Because, um, you know, as we've seen in all of the um, professional sports leagues, other than the bubble leagues, there's going to be positive tests. Um, there's yeah. going to be yeah, some... Right yeah, there's going to be some postponements. So you can't you can't count on this going um, directly through with Penn State playing all nine games. Maybe they do, but there's a chance that they don't. There's a high chance that at least one team in the Big Ten... Um, maybe gets postponed or has to get pushed back, whatever it may be. So I just have to be um, 
hopeful that we get through this and, you know, maybe they'll actually move it back a little bit to give everyone a little bit more um, leeway, I guess you could say. Yeah. Obviously, the late start, like I said, does not help. But one thing I think that does help is that obviously there's students on these college campuses, but a lot of these college campuses are very small town. Um, you know, Iowa's no metropolis. Um <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin, yeah, it's the, the capital of Wisconsin, but that's no metropolis. You know, Columbus, same thing, capital, no metropolis. State College, it's it's only a, a very populous city in the state of Pennsylvania because of all the college students that are on campus. Um, <laughs> when so when school is in session. Helps. <laughs> yeah, when school is in session. But I think that's one thing that kind of helps. Obviously, if COVID is going through a college campus, that does not help anybody. Like, that's... No, it's like bad things are going to happen. It is going to be all up to the players in that situation because, I mean, the whole the whole season, the players are going to have to be vigilant, you know, and Mm -hmm. the coaching staff's going to have to be vigilant and making sure that the 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 players aren't doing anything that would you know harm their chances of even just playing a game. Because as you see, like any positive test could really could shut down a game, could shut down Mm -hmm. shut down practices for a week. So, you know, it's going to be up to them. Hopefully the the campuses stay somewhat um, low. Yeah, keep their numbers down. Right. Yeah, just we have to ask eighteen to twenty three year old kids to be smart. That's I think that's the moral of the story. Um, maybe don't go to that girl's apartment. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as I said, it, it, this whole thing is going to be up to them because yep. you know they're going to be the ones making the decisions. You have to be smart. And if they're not smart, they're just not going to play. And we know for a fact that they want to play. Yeah. So. Uh, you have anything else you want to cover today? That's it. All right. Um, so that was kind of like our off-season um, overlook. Talked about the recruiting aspects, the opt-in and opt-outs, Michael Parsons, Pat Farring, with the new coaches that we have um, on the staff, and then obviously some of the COVID um, issues that could come up during the year. Next time we meet, We'll be discussing more football stuff. Who we think is going to be MVP, player of the year, offensive defensive MVP, um, and some expectations for the team. I know I have high expectations. I'm sure Brandon does too. Weird schedule, weird season. Doesn't matter to me. I think Penn State should have a nice year um, regardless. That's kind of the example and the the precedent that James Franklin set at this program, um, and I'm hoping that continues. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I... You know, it's going to be different, but, you know, we got football. We should be happy about that. Um, you know, whatever happens, happens with this team. Hopefully we see some improvements. Yeah, so sounds good. Uh, we will talk to you guys next time. I hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget that we are on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, our Twitter is at ForTheGloryOOS. You can find us on Facebook at ForTheGloryOfOldState. Um, and since the season is approaching... We're going to be a little bit more back in business here. Obviously, we're dropping the podcast. We're going to have our um, weekly predictions. We're going to have any other um, news that we need to cover as well. Uh, Keep following us. Share the podcast. Yeah, share the podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. Have a good one, everybody.